invite you to stand if you're able and join us for our opening song, I Want Jesus to Walk with Me. One of the most frustrating things about the issue is there isn't really a place for people who don't fit all the way on one side or all the way on the other side. And I find myself very much caught in between. I want Jesus to walk with me. Christy Burkhoff grew up thinking that abortion providers were murderers. She devoted herself to banning the procedure. I was very involved in Right to Life. I was part of the marches. That fight took Christy to Washington, D.C., but what she learned there basically made her abandon the anti-abortion cause altogether. I was starting to think, you know, oh my goodness, we might actually not be doing the thing we say we're doing. We might actually be promoting policies that are leading to abortion. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Friday, April 15th, 2022. Later this year, the Supreme Court will announce a decision in a case that could have seismic consequences on an issue that has divided Americans for almost 50 years the constitutional protection for the right to abortion. We will hear argument this morning in case 191392, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. General Stewart. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey haunt our country. They have no basis in the Constitution. They have no home in our history or traditions. In anticipation of the Supreme Court making this decision, the Times is looking at the issue from a number of perspectives. Today, the complicated story of how evangelicals mobilize around restricting abortion and one woman's place in all of this. My LA Times colleague, national correspondent Javed Kalim, he recently met up with Christy. She's a worship coordinator at a church in her hometown in Michigan. Javed, welcome to the Times. Hi, Gustavo. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So you've actually known Christy for a few years now. How did the two of you meet? Yeah, I actually met Christy Burkhoff several years ago. In 2020, I was in Holland, Michigan, and this was part of the 2020 election coverage we were doing. And I went there to go profile a pastor who had quit his job at his church because they were too pro-Trump for him. And as part of that reporting, uh, the pastor introduced me to his friends and this small community of liberal Christians that he's come to know. I've learned that every time I'm in this room, I am like moved by smart, moving conversation. And one of them was Christy. We sat in her backyard shed and got to chatting. I uh, kept in touch with her since, but never uh, really reported on her herself. But she was such an interesting character that I had to go back. So Holland, Michigan, what's it like there? Holland, Michigan is such an interesting place. First of all, it's freezing. Um, It's very cold. (laughs) It's beautiful also, woodsy, and right next to the Lake Michigan on the western side of Michigan, small town of about 30,000 people. It's a mostly white town and a majority conservative 
Republican town. It's, it's Trump country, Ottawa County, it's called. There's churches everywhere. You see billboards left and right. During the election, you would see Trump ones. And now, two years later, you see right to life, don't abort, um, various things like that. Photos of babies on billboards in front of people's houses. So abortion is a really big subject there and has been for a long time. So Christy's the worship coordinator of a church there, and her husband, Brian, he's the pastor. What's their story? They run the United Church of Christ, Holland United Church of Christ. Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to worship here at Holland UCC. It is so good to be back together. They began this church, actually, they had their first meeting, I believe, the weekend after Donald Trump won. Wherever you are tuning in from, And so this church has been kind of very political from the beginning. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation where everyone is welcome to the table. We believe that no matter the shade of your skin, how you identify, who you love, or where you are on your journey, you are a beloved child of God. They march in women's rights marches. They march in LGBTQ pride events. They're one of the few very openly gay-affirming churches in the area. They accept and promote the role of women in church. You know, I live in West Hollywood. You'd find it everywhere. But in Holland, Michigan, you know, these are things that really can make you lose your family and friends. Feel free to take a moment and stand if you're able and offer a word of peace or a hello to someone who's near you. Yeah, United Church of Christ, it's usually a more liberal Christian denomination. So how does Christy and Brian's congregation in particular feel about abortion? The UCC, as it's called, they're, like you said, very liberal. You know, you'll find conservative congregations too in this denomination, but overall, they're pretty liberal. On abortion, Christy, she describes most likely the entire congregation. You wouldn't find them at a March for Life or an anti-abortion event. I'm not sure there's anyone who says we just need to make it illegal. There may be a few who would like it to be illegal in to a certain point, but only if it's paired with policies that are compassionate towards these women and towards these children when they're born, if they're born. But they have mixed views like anybody you would encounter. They're not all on the same page. Some people are, you know, nope, I am... Absolutely pro-choice, 100%. There's people from this congregation who have had abortions or considered them. There's people who know family who have had abortions. And there's people who take that stance of, you know, personally, I'm against it, but I, I would never want it to be outlawed. That it needs to be legal and healthy and available. So we're kind of all over the board. But even that diversity of thought on the abortion issue, that's not what Christy grew up with. Not at all. The story of, of Christy Burkoff is really a pretty standard story of somebody who grew up in Western Michigan and Holland. And so Christy grew up in the Christian Reformed Church, which is a denomination that settled it and developed Holland. They came from the Netherlands. That's why it's called Holland. Everything is Dutch around there. The tradition in the Christian Reformed Church is typically that, you know, abortion is is just not an option, period. We considered this murder. 
So if a woman had an abortion, we called her a murderer. Doctors who did abortions, they're murderers. They have no respect for life. There really wasn't room for exception. There wasn't room for nuance or any consideration of the context. So that gives you a sense of how strict the line is on abortion in the church. So it was, it was pretty brutal. She describes Holland as a place of rules and uniformity. People were very friendly here to each other, maybe a little suspicious of people who didn't look like us, people who didn't think like us, people who didn't believe like us or worship like us. If you're not in with what others believe, you're out, you know, you're an outcast. And she was in. Coming up after the break, what Christy learned when she took the abortion fight from Michigan to Washington. Javed, before the break, we were talking about Christy Berghoff's upbringing. When did she first get involved in the anti-abortion fight? Christy was involved in the anti-abortion fight from her childhood, from her teens. You know, as part of her Christian school, she was part of a marches and poster making in Holland as a kid against abortion. In college, she was out there at abortion clinics protesting against abortion. I ended up studying political science and going to Washington, D.C. because I cared so much about this issue. And I wanted to, you know, push these laws that would make it illegal because I was trying to protect the unborn. After college, she moved to D.C. She worked for Pete Hoekstra, a Republican congressman at the time. Her job was to work on abortion. The team decided, hey, you should take this issue. You should work on this issue, become informed about this issue, respond to the emails that come in about this issue. She did letter writing. She did research all about making sure abortion is outlawed, will be outlawed. Uh, So she was really in the fight against abortion for a long time. So what changed her mind? It was leaving Holland, Michigan that changed her mind and going to D.C. She went there to be a you know, pro-life activist, essentially. What happened when she was there was D.C. is politically, it's mixed. Racially, it's diverse. Uh, people from all over the, the country and world and all kinds of Christians there, not just conservative evangelicals or Christian Reformed church people. Something else happened to Christy as well, which is she began to see how, in her view, abortion was not just a moral or religious issue. She began to see it as a political wedge in a way. The first time I really started thinking, I'm onto something here that we're not doing what we're saying we're doing, that we're misleading people for political purposes, when I started hearing kind of joking conversation between members of Congress who were saying like, you know, well, we have to keep the abortion issue alive because we got to keep the evangelical vote. 
the evangelicals need to be angry about this. That's how they're going to vote for us. So hearing that kind of rhetoric and that kind of dialogue just angered me to the core. It just became very apparent that the abortion issue was the carrot that they needed to dangle in front of the evangelical voter to keep them following them. So she kind of began to question, is abortion the end-all be-all issue? Should there be more? And that's when I kind of started just pulling away and feeling uncomfortable with working for a Republican. So after I worked with a congressman, I was so confused about who I was, what I believed. I did not know what to do. I knew I wanted to learn more about Jesus and what it would look like to take his teachings seriously. So I went to seminary after working on Capitol Hill. That's where I met my husband and we got into church planting. So starting new churches. Eventually that path took us back to Washington DC where we started a church. So now we've got four kids. We're living in a neighborhood that's pretty low income neighborhood. Our kids are in the public school. There's about a dozen white kids and four of them were ours. So now I'm seeing a totally different perspective from the white middle class Republican Christian community I grew up in. And she connected the dots between abortion and race as well. Oh, wow. How so? She mentioned this one thing to me, which I actually never really thought about this, but when you see a billboard with a baby's face on it, and it's a pro-life billboard, oftentimes it's a white baby. She said it to me, and something lit up in my head. I thought, oh, wow, I've never realized that how racialized even just the imagery around abortion is. That's a really interesting point. And it kind of gets to something that's interesting, just in general, the whole political dimensions of all this, because... I think most people are aware of the link between Christian evangelical political groups and the anti-abortion movement, but they might be surprised that their mobilization didn't actually start with the Roe versus Wade decision. You know, when you say evangelical, usually you're talking about the Southern Baptist Church. That's the biggest evangelical group in the country. And historically, Baptists were very much about the separation of church and state. That was a strong part of Baptist identity. So even the Southern Baptist Church in the years before Roe v.ersus Wade actually released statements essentially affirming the right to abortion, which is, you know, shocking to hear now because their position is the complete opposite. Things began to change essentially as a political strategy, as a way to unify evangelicals and conservatives around one issue. Something else that happened at the same time was desegregation, schools being no longer segregated or, or school busing happening and various decisions around civil rights and race. And so there was a lot of racist anger, actually. And the abortion, anti-abortion cause was parallel at the same time. More after the break. Thank you. 
And we're back with LA Times national correspondent, Javed Kalim. So Javed, Christy and her family eventually made their way back to Michigan after spending time in DC. How were they received back home, not just by their community, but by their families? They both come from very uh, conservative families who, for the most part, do not agree with them on politics, on abortion, on a variety of things. It's been hard for our extended family since we moved back here. And I think it's because, like us, they're passionate about following Jesus. But we have such very different experiences in the world. Some of my family members have just lived here their whole life. They've never left. This is the world they know. This is the experience they have. Christy actually lives on the same property that she grew up on. It's a big, large farmland plot. When she was growing up, her dad grew flowers and sold them. Very Holland, Michigan, very Dutch, right? And he still does that. So she lives in a separate house on that same property, and her dad still lives there as well. So they were welcome in some ways, but in other ways, they were rejected. I was seen as horrible. I was a horrible person. I was demonized, dehumanized, dismissed, because I didn't just fall back into place when I got back here. And there are people she went to church with, that she grew up with, high school with, college with, who will not talk to her. So it was very hard. We were othered. You know, to take a stance like she has, it's not a small thing. It's not a small thing at all. So how does Christy identify politically now? She uh, was a Republican for a long time. As she transitioned in her politics, she became an independent. And I definitely lean Democrat because when I consider the values that I grew up with, the things I was taught, and I pair that with the perspectives I've gained in the world, it leads me to vote for more Democrat candidates. She registered two years ago as a Democrat when her husband was running for Congress as a Democrat. It really was a liberating and amazing time for them, but also a painful time because they received death threats. They received threats online against their life and those of their four kids. So they had to leave their home and live somewhere else. And they kind of felt the worst effects of stepping out of the box in Holland, Michigan. Now, she will never go to the GOP again. She's made that very clear. And she just doesn't recognize the GOP anymore. She is considering becoming independent again, but she's really not in any rush. Um, She's happy being a Democrat right now. What about abortion? After spending so much time being an anti-abortion activist and then sort of realizing some things, where she landed on that issue? She takes kind of an interesting, I wouldn't call it a middle road because it's not really in the middle. So on the one hand, yeah, I think there's a life growing inside a woman. I think it's a separate life with its own DNA. There's something happening inside the woman. A life is being formed. A life is being developed. But just being anti-abortion or wanting to put laws out there that say 
abortion is going to be illegal. That's not going to take care of the problem. And in most countries, that hasn't had an impact. She is going to march for women's rights. She's going to march for abortion rights. She will vote for people who support abortion rights. But at the same time, she doesn't really like abortion. I hear my friends way on the left saying, you know, it's my body, my choice, as if it's not a separate life forming inside a woman. I don't like that rhetoric either, so I struggle with it. I really struggle with it. She does think it's equivalent to killing a life, but she sees that it's necessary in a variety of cases, and not just when the mother's health is in danger. And she thinks the best way to be pro-life, and she doesn't really call herself pro-life either, but the best way to support being pro-life, if that's how you're going to describe yourself, is not to vote against abortion rights or march against them. That hasn't had an impact on the statistics very much at all. So the things that do have an impact are providing contraceptives, access to affordable health care, access to living wages, access to childcare. Some of these are some of the biggest deterrents to a woman having an abortion or needing one in the first place. And I don't hear Republicans advocating for those things. How has the abortion fight played out in Christie's home state of Michigan? Yeah, you know, Michigan is a typically a blue state, and mostly that's because of Detroit. But you look everywhere else in the state, for the most part, including the western part, where Holland is, it's red as red can be. Michigan has a law dating to 1931 that outlaws abortion for all reasons except for if the mother's life is in jeopardy. So it's one of those states where if Roe versus Wade is overturned or diminished in some way, abortion could, you know, automatically be illegal again, and there'll be a really uphill fight about it. Yeah, I was really surprised that Michigan does still have this law, but recently the Democratic governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, she filed a lawsuit that challenged that 1931 law and even asked the state Supreme Court to look into it. It has not been enforced since the Supreme Court ruled on Roe v. Wade in 1973, but it could take effect if the landmark ruling is vacated. How much power does Whitmer have on this issue? She has some power, but not a lot. The legislature is Republican. Uh, What she's clearly doing is she's anticipating what could happen in the Supreme Court of the nation. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel said her office would not enforce the ban unless it was ordered to by a court. I joined the governor in her sentiment of wanting to do anything and everything we can to fight back. Genevieve Marnin with Right to Life of Michigan disagrees. So if Roe's overturned and the abortion decision comes back to each individual state, Michigan will be an abortion-free state, and that's what we're hoping to see in June. Governor Whitmer, she's has some budgetary power. You know, there's been some efforts in the legislature to pass budgets that basically write in pro-life causes and issues and send millions of dollars toward them, and she's vetoed that and crossed that out, but she's limited in what she can do. Finally, there's going to be this monumental decision by the Supreme Court this summer that might determine the fate of Roe versus Wade. Does Christie have any thoughts on how communities should handle that verdict, whatever it may be? 
One thing is that she's actually getting a PhD right now, and one thing she's studying is civil discourse, how people who disagree can live together and exist together in one community. So that's really a passion of hers. But also she believes in people really mobilizing to help their communities. Is it people who need abortion care, who will need rides to Chicago or Pennsylvania, where if it's knocked down in the Supreme Court, it will still be available in those states or a variety of other means? We need to provide access to health care. We need to provide access to child care and living wages for crying out loud. I mean, this is pretty simple, basic, kind of obvious stuff when you just stop and look at the landscape and hear the stories and see the faces of these women who have been struggling with this. Our song of response, Change My Heart, Oh God. As well as she does believe in the power of prayer, she's very religious. Javed, thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks, Gustavo. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Next week, live music returns. Los Angeles continues to crack down on homeless encampments and so much more. Kasha Brasalian was a hef on this episode and our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, David Toledo, Ashley Brown, and Angel Carreras. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Kinsey Morgan. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera and Shani Hilton. And our theme music is by Andrew Ethan. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. And hey, we want your feedback, please. Call or text 619-800-0717, 619-800-0717. Tell us who you are, what you think about our show. What do you think about me? How's my hosting? Bad, good, tell us. Thanks in advance. Me, of course, I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back next week with all the news in this madre. Gracias. Gracias.